Amen. So we're looking ahead to our new series on the prophets um, following our Immerse Bible book reading series. So this is where we've been reading large chunks of the Bible together as a church in our small groups throughout the week. And um, it's kind of compiled into these easy to read books, um, which are called Immerse books. Uh, So our next set of immersed readings is looking at some of the smaller books in the Bible um, called the prophetic books. So these are a series of special messengers that God sends to his people, which ultimately prepares us for Jesus coming. And it made me think a a bit about the Olympics being the biggest sporting event in the world. It also has the biggest build up to it as well. They'll have the initial bids and then there'll be different events publicizing it from kind of cheap stunts to the Olympic torch being carried around the country and the crowds turning out and watching it go through their town or city. And then there'll be these time-lapse videos of some desolate wasteland being turned into some massive stadium and swimming pool and whatever other arenas they need. And then eventually, as the opening ceremony comes, we'll see the teams will arrive, the torch will be carried into the stadium and will light the Olympic cauldron of flame and then the games will begin. And then in a few weeks, it's all over. All those years of preparation, those years of things building up to it, all the building work, all the training that went on, it's all done. And just like the Olympic torch and all those events leading up to the Olympics, so do the prophets tell us about the event that is coming and build up to that. We'll see how God's special messengers, the prophets, repeatedly show God's people Israel where they have strayed from God's covenant and they will call them back to him. And we'll see the different responses that Israel has to God's message and what happens after that. Let's pray. Lord, be with us now as we look at your word. Open our hearts to you, Lord, and um, soften them, Lord, and um, help us turn afresh to you today. In your name, amen. So our first prophet chronologically is Amos. He came from a small village outside Jerusalem in the kingdom of Judah. And at this time, the nation of Israel was split into two. You had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And Judah, uh, and Amos was in the southern part. And he was sent by God to go and speak to the northern kingdom. They were very rich and powerful and prosperous at this time. They were smug and self-assured. They were sure that God was pleased with them. They thought, God must have given us all this richness because he is pleased with us. But we read in Amos 5 verse 21 that God was not pleased with them. This is what he says. I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your burnt offerings and grain offerings. He says, I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. 
Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I won't listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God was not happy with their sham displays of worship. He took no pleasure as they did these, these luxurious, exorbitant, burnt offerings. And the reason he didn't take pleasure in those was because they dealt cruelly with the poor. They dealt cruelly with those in their power. They didn't promote justice. They didn't look after those that they should have. They played at worshiping God at one hand, whilst on the other they continued to worship their pagan gods and sacrifice to them. Amos talks about these solemn assemblies. And I say he talks about these fattened animals. It all sounds very good and religious. But behind the noise of his praise and his activity, there was nothing but skin-deep religion. There was no true love for God. There was no acts showing God's love throughout their lives. It was all skin-deep. And Amos' message was that the people who have received God's covenant love and peace should go on to be those who promote justice and love, those who care for the poor and deal kindly with those in their power. So what did God's chosen people say to Amos' message from God? They threw him out of the country. They didn't listen. They got told the theological knowledge, the head knowledge. They got told what the practical response was but they did not carry it out. Then we move on to another prophet called Jonah. He was a reluctant prophet. He was told by God to go to Nineveh, which today is towards modern day Syria. These people were not part of God's chosen people. They were what they would call Gentiles. So instead of heading towards Syria, he immediately turned towards Tarshish, which was towards modern day Spain because he wanted to get as far away as possible from what God had called him to do. And God, through some redirection involving a storm and a fish, eventually got him to Nineveh. And there, Jonah proclaimed God's message to them. He said that, because of your wickedness, in 40 days' time, God will destroy you all. But, Unlike God's chosen people, Israel, the people of Nineveh listened. They fasted. They put on sackcloth. The people turned to God, leaving behind their violence. And their king and their nobles said this, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger. And God saw what they did. And he, he relented. But Jonah was not happy with the Gentiles getting away with it. In Jonah 4 verse 2 he says, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Here we see how Jonah knew what God's heart was for the prophets. 
it was not that God wanted to show his judgment, but through sending Jonah as a prophet, it was an opportunity for these people to turn from God. And Jonah did not want these people to have the chance to turn back from God. And you can imagine whilst Jonah is saying these words, he's probably remembering his prayer when he was delivered from drowning by God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. And salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah was happy for himself to be delivered and saved by God, but he wasn't happy for God's grace to extend beyond his holy people Israel to these foreigners. That was an affront to him. These were sinners, pagans. These were people so far from God, yet they could be brought into peace with God by simply turning to him genuinely and contritely and praying out to him. God heard their prayers too. Yet we also see how the people of Nineveh grasped this truth so well and they took the practical steps of turning from their evil ways to God's. And that was God's pattern. He would send a message and people would have the opportunity to respond and when they responded, God would see it. Again, Jonah's message was like another metaphorical stretch of this Olympic torch as it gets closer and closer to the climax, gets closer and closer to Jesus. And we see God's grace extending further and further as we prepare the way for the Lord as was read in our reading today. And it says that a voice will cry in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, so that the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. So who was going to be this voice in the wilderness? Well, it's John the Baptist, so we'll jump to Luke 1, verse 76. He says, and this is his father, Zechariah, Zechariah prophesying after the birth of his son, John. And you, child, we call the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. John was God's prophet specially chosen to prepare the way for Jesus. And what does John say when he comes to God's people, Israel? Well, in Luke 3, verse 7, he said, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees, and every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So John says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. It's not rocket science. If you have the theological head knowledge, if you know what God wants of you, 
and you say it out loud and you proclaim it, but then you fail to turn from wrong, if you fail to, to act justly in your lives and you rely on your own self-righteousness, that's what John's saying here. He's saying that these Jews were saying, Abraham is our father. And what they meant by that was because Abraham is their father, it means that they're part of God's chosen people, which means that they are automatically right with God and they have a sense of righteousness from that. But what John says, he said, well, yeah, I can, God can turn these stones into Abraham's children, so you know, don't rely on that. That's not, yeah, that's, that's all well and good, but that is not what God calls you to. And he says, show, show us that you trust in God. Show us through, through, through justice. The significance of your genealogy, of your family tree, is not important is not the most important thing. But having a humble heart and looking to follow God trumps any of that. And these people would have taken great pride in their family trees, tracing them back through all of Israel's history. And we have that as a stark contrast to what the Ninevites were like, these people who were far from God, who were not God's chosen people, Yet they were the ones who were able to repent and say, Lord, we're sorry for what we've done. It's a stark contrast. And John is really demonstrating that here. And it's to this backdrop of ever-increasing grace that we see Jesus come. We see the prophets, including John, calling people back to a relationship with God. That is following his laws. That is being in a covenant relationship with him. But we also see them dishing out freely given grace and forgiveness to those who turn to him. Even as in the case of Nineveh, to those outside God's law, that is the non-Jewish people. But does that mean that the law of God that he lays out in the Old Testament is now meaningless because God's just forgiving whoever he wants? Well, Jesus puts it like this in Matthew 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And what do we know about Jesus? Jesus is the finisher and completer of all that the prophets have built up to. He is the one who fully completes the law. And it's his righteousness and sacrifice, which is the credit that all of us use as God gives us his grace. And and, and Jesus puts it like this, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. 
Again, these were supposedly the super righteous, super religious people of their time who made up even more laws to follow than they had. And Jesus is saying it's, it's, it's impossible with your own righteousness to get to heaven. It's impossible for you to say, oh, well, yeah, I'm a good person. I can make it on my own steam. He is saying it is only through him. And it's this pattern over and over again through the prophets. John, Jesus, Jonah, we see that self-righteousness and pride are not going to cut it with God. Your family tree won't, your impressive job, your OBE, your MBE, your long list of letters after your name or other achievements you might have. And the prophets are like this gradual unfurling and extension of the story of God's grace and salvation to us. And it eventually culminates in Jesus. And that is the astounding thing about Jesus. After hundreds and hundreds of years of Israel trying to follow God's law and doing a poor job at it, Jesus says, I have completed it. It is finished. Turn to me. Trust me. Love me. And do acts of justice and love which show that you are mine. And it is done. So where does this leave us, this second Advent Sunday? Advent being the time that we prepare to celebrate Jesus coming to us the time that we remember his birth. And this is the birth that the prophets were preparing for, for that coming of their true king. We know that it's not richness or fame or religious activity which makes us right with God, but is a trust in his mercy. And it's that mercy which compels us to follow him and to carry out that flood of justice that Amos talks about. And it's not the proud and the powerful that God ultimately uses for his kingdom always, but it's the most humble of things that we remember at Christmas. For it was a young unmarried woman over 2,000 years ago in the Middle East who was chosen by God to bring his son into the world. And that woman Mary's response when God calls her to step out in faith and to carry the baby Jesus. She didn't fear, she didn't flinch. She said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And it's this deep and humble trust that delights God. And it shows that deepening of relationship and trust. And the prophets were looking to call God's people closer to him, to call people back from the ways that would take people away from God. And that would be their call to us today. Where are you right now with God? For some of you, it might be skin-deep religion right now, a skin-deep relationship. As Amos put it, a solemn face, and some noisy music on a Sunday. For some of us, it might be like we're like Jonah. We're cross with God. 
we can't accept his mercy and goodness that it will be freely given away like this. For others, we might be trying to trust God, trying to follow him, but we're struggling. We're having difficulties. We're not managing to to turn from the things that we know we need to turn to. And for some of us, maybe when we hear about letting justice flow and we see all the difficulty and hurt in the world, we see the millions and billions of people living in poverty and in the people who, who are struggling in our own town, we can feel overwhelmed and powerless and we, we, we don't act. But God says to all of you, whatever your situation, I am near. Turn to me and I will show my mercy. I will show my love. I'm quick to relent and slow to anger and fast to show my love and kindness. I will accept you when you turn to me with genuine contrition. And he's a God who gives us practical responses that we can take as well. Practical acts of mercy in our local town, whether that's through the harbor ministry, whether that's through being kind to the people that we meet, whether that's working with uh, asylum seekers, whether that's working with people who are struggling to heat their homes or feed themselves week to week, whether that's giving to charities like Tear Fund and Compassion, who we heard from last week. It's simple acts of love, simple things promoting God's justice and his love that will transform our world. But we don't do it alone, and we know that ultimately Jesus will come again. And we are now in a new time of preparation, and that is preparing for Jesus to come again. And we don't know when he will come or exactly what that will look like, but today we are called to be closer to God again. Or for some of us, it might be knowing God for the first time. So trust in him. He is the good God who loves to show his mercy. And we're going to be taking communion later in the service. And it's a great opportunity to turn to him afresh, to lift up the things that we could do better. But also to know that it's not our works, but it's his mercy that does it. And we can trust in him. Let's pray. And then the band will lead us in worship. Lord God, we thank you that you are the God who reaches out to us. Lord, you reach out to us time after time after time. You love to show your mercy. You love to show your goodness. And Lord, help us today, Lord, to accept that anew. Help that to light a fire of love for you in our hearts. Lord, help us to be a people who love to bring about your social justice in this world, God, to the poor and the powerless, to those who don't have a voice themselves. Show us where we could do that better, Lord, 
and sustain those people who are working hard to do that at the moment, God, that we would be filled with your love and your Holy Spirit to do that work, that we wouldn't trust that that is the thing that gets us right with you, God, but that is the outworking of what you have already done for us. In your name, amen. of peace, hail the Son of righteousness, life and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. In royal David's city stood a lowly cattle shed where 